Hello, and thank you for joining us for another podcast of the Gospel Rescue Mission. My name is Brian Botel. I'm the Director of Resident Services, and today I'm talking with John Davis, our men's coordinator, as we just review kind of what happened in the last week. Um, it was a great interview, a great talk with, between he and I. I hope that you enjoy it. Listen in, and uh, let's see what we were talking about. I am here today with John Davis, who is the men's coordinator Say hi, John. Hi, everybody. He's a men's coordinator of the Gospel Rescue Mission. And we're just kicking and having a conversation in my office, and we're talking about things that have happened over the week at the Gospel Rescue Mission. Um, and so, like we said, there's, <laughs> we're, we're in the midst of the coronavirus. Maybe you're listening to uh, the, the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, you, maybe you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, me too. Uh, I wonder what this is doing to the guys at the mission. John, what's happening to the guys at the mission right now? Well, we, um, we actually have uh, quite a few guys who have uh, left on, on good terms yep. lately, um, leaving with a, a job, money in the bank, and a place to live. And this last, this last month, maybe you know, a couple, even a couple of weeks, it's just been really good. You know, another consistent good month for the gospel restaurant. Now, how many guys do you think uh, left here well? Um, in the last month, probably 15. Yeah. Yeah. 15. So that's, that's guys leaving with a job and a home. Yes. Yeah. 15 guys in a month. That's, that's uh, you know, it's, I want to go, yay, but in a way it's really not terribly uh unordinary for the mission it's just um springtime we see a kind of a boost in in these you know spring and and summer we start seeing a boost because obviously jobs start to pick up uh employment starts to pick up but uh but we have a pretty good employment rate here most of the time Uh, a lot of the guys that come here are able to get jobs relatively quickly yes Um, yeah um in fact i i have a few people who had applied for jobs prior to coming here Mm -hmm. and then uh, got hired shortly after they became residents. Okay. Um, Those those people were still, you know, kind of nurturing them uh, along and uh, trying to make sure that they're doing all the right things and making all the right choices. Yeah. Um, But most of the time... Uh, because there is a rule that you can't look for work in the first 30 days you're here, most of the time those people who start looking for work after their first 30 days uh, find it quickly, within within a week or two weeks. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that it's because they they did spend the 30 days uh, without looking for work and concentrating on themselves, on what their hangups are and getting clean for those who are uh, addicts or alcoholics you know they they're spending they're taking the time to really work on themselves uh, rather than jumping right into trying to find work yeah yeah that's a that's a big deal um, a lot of guys that come here it seems like they they just are really confident oh, all I need is a job all I need is a job all I need is a job and you ask them, well, how long has it been since you've been looking for work? And, oh, I've been looking for six months now. You know, and go, I tell you what, 
probably you ought to stop looking for a minute, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you cut that out, you know, and, and just relax and uh, let's, let's, um, let's focus on some of the reasons why in the last six months, while you've been looking for work, you haven't gotten it. Right. You know? uh, and then when they're, when they're able to just stop, relax, slow their roll down a little bit, uh, a lot of times we can address other issues, you know, uh, you know, maybe their, their, their lack of, of good job clothes, maybe their lack of presentation of themselves. Uh, maybe they just need to clean up and, you know, get some time so sober under their belt and, and all that kind of stuff. to where and, they're... and some sleep. Some sleep. <laughs> you know, if they're living on the streets, whether they're using or not using, lack of sleep is a big thing. It really is. And, you know, if uh, it, when when they come in here, they've got a bed, yeah. they've got food, and they've got a roof over their head. Yeah. And um, they don't need a job in the first 30 days. Yeah, that's right. Everything's paid for. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing how, how much um, just having three good, nutritious meals every day and and consistent routine sleep every day what that does for completely changing the countenance of somebody over the period of that first 30 days i mean they can come in you know and and as impressive as they may be which they're generally not terribly impressive but as impressive as they may think they are when they come in uh boy they sure look a whole lot better after being in here for 30 days Absolutely. I mean, there's times where people will, when they check in, and then after their 30-day review, yeah, I look at their intake picture, yeah, and I don't even you can't. They don't look like the same person. They look like a completely different person. You know, you just can't you can't add enough value to that right there. You know, and and it's hard to explain when somebody says, well, but man, that just doesn't seem right. They need to work. They need a job, and and everybody's so focused on this end goal, but not realizing that they're skipping all this stuff that's so equally important before they can even begin to get to that end right. goal. And boy, uh, that 30 days is just so powerful. Uh, we've seen more and more and more over the years people who really just benefit from that 30-day stay. They, they really, the, uh, 30 days of sobriety for some people, this is the first so 30 days sober they've had in a long time. It, it's the first 30 days where they've just had regular sleep and, and they'll complain because, you know, the first week they probably don't sleep all that well. But you get tired enough, you know, and, right. and you get you get into this, force this cycle on them long enough, they'll eventually start sleeping like a baby. And eventually you get used to the snoring. Yep. And you just, you sleep. I mean, your body can only go so long without good sleep yeah. until it just shuts down yeah. and you sleep. Yep, yep, that's right. So, well, hey, um, so I was thinking this week was really kind of, this was an interesting week for us. Um, I mean, every week's interesting. And, you know, people never really, you can't, you can't overstate the crazy that can happen at the Gospel Rescue Mission. And you and I, you know, coming in here every day, doing it day in and day out. And in fact, I've been so impressed with you and how fast it's become just routine for you. Thank but you. Uh, but hey, for so many people, I mean, the, the, the things that happen every day 
that we take it's just part of the job and it's what we do uh, would shock probably the average person on the outside looking in and don't understand the kind of things that you face every day as a men's coordinator uh, at the mission. We were talking on Monday, uh, every Monday at, um, was it Monday or Tuesday? I Tuesday. forget which. It was Tuesday. Tuesday. Every Tuesday at 2 o'clock, uh, we, have a, we have a meeting with our resident assistants. So we're constantly training them. We're constantly training them, giving them good leadership skills, teaching them uh, you know, about the, the way the mission works and everything. And remember, most of these you know, RAs were just homeless you know, themselves within a couple of months uh, right. prior. Um, so they're they're being trained to a level of leadership that's pretty extraordinary. And and uh, as we were going through, we were just reminding them. I remember sitting there reminding them, uh, both the men and women RAs, about the importance of the policies and procedures of the Gospel Rescue Mission. Why they're so important. And uh, and I was pointing out, uh, I was referring them back to a time when uh, somebody. Uh, was terribly victimized here years ago um, at the mission because simply a procedure was overlooked. Uh, a simple, a simple routine procedure of locking a door was overlooked, was disregarded, and um, and it resulted in a lot of damage being done and, and a lot of trauma. Uh, coming from that that procedure being overlooked, and we'd gone through this discussion about you know why do we have the rules, why do we have these so-called barriers to entry in into this place, and and uh, it seemed like a good good meeting. We we always talk about you know how do we handle this situation, how do we handle that situation, and uh, I thought the meeting went pretty well. And then, uh, I don't know, it must have been three or four hours later. About, about three hours later. Yeah, you, you send me a text. By the way, Brian, <laughs> thought you ought to hear this from me. Uh, tell me what happened. So, um, the way I found out about it, I had already left for the day. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting in my chair at home and I get a phone call from another employee. Yeah. Um, and asking what's going on at the mission there's cops everywhere and i said i i don't know i'll see if i can find out yeah as soon as i hung up the phone with him i get a phone call from the, my head ra yeah one of the residents who was uh had checked in that day yeah um threatened someone with a gun and went out to his car said he was going to go to his car and get a gun and shoot him yeah um, so didn't actually threaten him with a gun yet, but right. said, "I'm going to I'm going to go out to my car, get a gun, and do harm to you." Yes, yeah. that's how it went down. Yeah, and then um, they uh, the RAs that were on duty locked off the door, wouldn't let anybody go near the door. Yep, and called nine one one immediately, which is the procedure for that kind of a violent threat of any Absolutely. kind. We, we just go, okay, here's what we do. When somebody makes a violent threat uh, like that, as soon as they walk out the door, the, that door locks. Yes. And, and nobody's allowed to get near the door, and we call 911, which they did perfectly. Yes. Yep. The police responded, uh, I, I think they said within a minute and a half. Yeah, that's amazing. It was very quick. And had, uh, I mean, before he was even able to uh, come back from his car, the police converged on him, got him at gunpoint, and arrested him. 
Wow, wow. So a uh, big thank you and a shout out to the Grants Pass Police Department Absolutely. that did, uh, again, phenomenal work on that. They were quick. They responded immediately. And um, because of that, um, you know, we were safe. Uh, you know, the, the procedures, the policies, everybody followed them to the T. And, and because of that, everybody in the house was safe. And had they not followed them to a T, it would have been a tragedy here at the Gospel Rescue Mission yeah. because the police did find uh, guns, loaded guns, in his car. Wow, wow. <laughs> Everybody goes, yeah, but he's just a homeless guy. He can't be that threatening. It can't be that bad. You know, um, you know, they're just, they're just innocent people who are, you know, just on a hard times and, and everything. And yet... Um, this this person was not one of those. And uh, in fact, you just never have the luxury of banking on what kind of person uh, is coming in the door. I mean, right. they, tell you, they tell you one thing about themselves, but they, oddly enough, they don't always tell you the truth. Right. <laughs> People that are intending to do harm don't always start off with, by the way, I'm wearing a T-shirt that tells you I'm you know, planning to do harm today. Right. So we, we were able to pay good attention to the threat level, and um, we were able to recognize it. We were able to address it, and everybody handled that very, very well. So um, praise God that, uh, that everybody, including the man who uh, intended to do harm, got away safely. You yeah. know? I mean, he, you know, he was arrested safely, and uh, nobody was damaged. Nobody was was uh, hurt. Um, my the report I heard by that time was that they had actually blocked off the street on on both ends. Uh, so yeah, they were, the, they the cops had, had moved very very quickly yes. on this. They had blocked off uh, G Street from the and, corner where it, where it turns off and, and uh, uh, Booth Street. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. So, yeah. And, and good job to our resident assistants and good job to the training that we do here. You know, it, it's, uh, you can never bat a thousand, but, uh, but man, we'll take, we'll take this one. Uh, we'll take a win for the team for sure. Absolutely. And uh, thank the Lord for that. You know, um, the thing about barriers when we're checking people in, when you think in terms, when somebody thinks in terms of barriers, is why would you, you know, why, why do you make people jump through certain kinds of hoops in order to let them come stay with you at the Gospel Rescue Mission? You know, one of the primary concerns that you as a men's coordinator is thinking about, and even the resident assistants are thinking about as somebody's walking through the door, you don't have the luxury of thinking about that person as an individual yet. You really have to think about the safety of the people that are already in the building and Absolutely. already working the program and you, you already have relationship with. Yes. Uh, you not only have to think of their physical safety, but their emotional and mental safety too. Yeah. If that person coming in looks like they have been using recently or drinking recently, yeah. the, it's not safe for the people who have been here for a little while, who are addicts that are trying to get themselves cleaned up. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it could be a trigger. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and the, the thing that I always struggled when I was a men's coordinator was just thinking about, you know, again, 
I have people that I already know, and somebody would call and be angry because, you know, or, or be really insistent, trying to push really hard to get me to let an individual in the door. And, and really kind of, it's like, it seemed as if they're trying to push past my checkpoints. They're just like, no, you don't understand. He just really needs a place to stay right now. No, he's a really good guy. No, he's really at the bottom of his, he's got nowhere else to go. It's very cold outside. He's really vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. And, and they really want me to just say yes. And, and all they're thinking about is that one individual. When I have to think to myself, there's 60 other men in this building. Yes. And I have to be concerned uh, about their safety first. So before I can even consider this person, I really have to consider him in light of these other people who have already, they're already demonstrating to me every day that they want to be here. They're, right. they're following the rules. They're working the program. They're, they're, they're working hard on those things. Why would I jeopardize the, the bird in the hand for the bird in the bush, right? right. You know, and, and so it's, it's just, uh, it, it makes much more sense to protect those that we've got that are already committed. And uh, maybe this person that they want to come into the program will become one of them. But the only way I'll know, the only way you'll ever know is if you take the time to give them a real thorough interview. You yes. really have to ask uncomfortable questions sometimes and you have to sometimes even place up a barrier or two uh, to kind of help demonstrate, you know, we're looking to discover what kind of person is this? Mm -hmm. Is this person coming into uh, the this house where 60 other people live or, you know, next door I may have uh, 30 women and 15 children or something and, and I'm letting this virtual stranger, you know, potentially come in and live with them uh, and and putting them potentially at risk. Uh, it's a lot at stake. And, and um, on... You know, back to the interviewing, um, it's uh, kind of interesting um, how many men, grown men, come into my office to do an in intake interview and halfway through they just bust down crying. Yeah. Uh, because th these are difficult questions to ask. Yeah. But it's information that we need to know about them before we can let them stay here. Yeah. Um, you're not, for and you're the not safety just, of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not you're not asking them in order to insult them. You're right. not looking to hurt them in any ways. In fact, you're you're wanting to know that they're safe. And then once they're in, you're going to ask the same question of somebody of the next person that might want to come right. in in order to keep that person safe. Right. I mean, it's really about that safety. And so, you know, th that's the kind of thing that, you know, when I, when I continually hear this kind of mantra of low barrier shelter going on out there, I, I, I go, you know, I, I know what you're trying to say. Uh, you're trying to say, I want to make it easy for people who want to leave the, the streets to come in and, and, you know, I want it to be as easy as it needs to be for right. them, you know, but at the same time, um, I, I don't want, I mean, the idea that, you know, that we're somehow, uh, or that there's some, you know, uh, some, some, I don't know, virtue in being low barrier that's greater than, than having barriers. Um, you know, I, I could say, that there's more virtue in what happened on on Monday or Tuesday or whatever day it was 
And uh, with the saving of the lives of potentially 60 men, um, because there was there was not a shooting incident right. in, in in this place. That's virtuous. That's that's Absolutely. that's more virtuous than letting him in, you know, and and, and having no barrier and, and everything. And and so, um, and what makes that work is by having good staff in place and good resident um, assistants that are continually and regularly trained, you know, and and look. They're not flawless in executing that training, and and any more than you and I are, right. you know, Absolutely. flawless as as staff members, you know, executing our training and everything. Right. But we're constantly we, we keep this stuff in the front of our minds, and that's the stuff that uh, that makes a place like the Gospel Rescue Mission safe and good, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's training is very important for staff and residents. Yeah. I mean the. Uh, Staff can't train the residents if they don't get trained. Yep. And the residents, we're constantly teaching them how to become productive citizens. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. that is the ultimately the goal here. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, that's probably the most exciting news from the Gospel Rescue Mission this week. Um, I, I mean, among the, the many things that could be said, we're all surviving we, uh, the, the coronavirus outbreak. We have no outbreaks here. We practice really good hygiene protocols. We do the same kind of disinfecting and, and things that, that take place in hospitals and, and, uh, and nursing homes. And in fact, in many ways, I'd like to think that we do a little bit better. We run, uh, we run ozone generators. We, we do, uh, I mean, we go a, l- a little bit above and beyond in, in a lot of ways. We make everybody, currently we're making everybody really pay attention to the hand washing, um, we're really trying to be focused on, on everybody's health. And so I would certainly say if you're somebody that's listening to or a supporter of the Gospel Rescue Mission, we, we really covet your prayers right now. Um, this is the kind of this is a time when we all need each other's support. Uh, we also realize that everybody's probably a little scared and probably taking some of their own you know, resources and, and reserving them for keeping their homes safe. We totally understand that. Uh, but if you have any extra and can support the Gospel Rescue Mission, that's always a good thing. We thank you for that. Please don't forget about us. And uh, because obviously uh, there's a lot of people at stake right now, probably about 100 residents, men, women, and children staying yes. here uh, that, that really need that support and really need to, to uh, know that the community hasn't forgotten about them, that they love them. And uh, this place is a constant testimony to God's goodness in Grants Pass. And um, so thanks, John, for being here with us on the uh, Week at the GRM podcast, the inaugural podcast. <laughs> and uh, hopefully by the time all the editing's done, Greg will add some really cool intro and uh, make us sound really hip and cool. And, well, we are anyways. Uh, well, true. That's... Look, it doesn't get better than that. Hey, if you like the sound of this podcast, if you like the things that we've talked about here, if you found it interesting, would you share it with your friends, Um, particularly uh, on social media, uh, but you can share it in an email, you can share it in a text message. Um, Get the word out to what we're doing. Um, The only way that people are going to know is if you tell them. And uh, and so please encourage people to follow us on Facebook, on our Facebook page. 
Uh, check out our website. We've got lots more uh, good information up there that you can check out all the time. It's, it's always available. Um, that is uh, grantspassmission.org. In the meantime, God bless you all, and uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.